this is going to be a great night, and I know that because um, the last day is going to be crazy for me. In the last 20 minutes, y'all, I like came out of mass, and I'm like, oh, I have so much time to like grab my stuff and get set up. So I like go to the office, and I'm like, oh, the door's locked, and then I'm like, where's everyone? I'm like, can't find anyone. So then I'm not bothered, and I get the keys, and I get my stuff, and we're about to start. And I'm like, I don't have your keys, I actually threw them in my car, so I'm going to go run and get them. And here we are. So, um, before we get to the serious stuff, I kind of wanted to do announcements first. So, um, is it on? Um, man, well, the slide was great. Can't see it. Kind of ruins my joke. Yeah. Those are birds. Got me. Those at the beginning. That's my Okay. And then God said, see, there's the joke. But, let there be announcements. So, first up is your schedule. Do you want to say anything specific about that? It's next week's. This is next week's schedule. I feel like I'm being away. See that? You should come to everything. No, I'm just kidding. You should pick at least one or two things that you're going to commit to and then commit to them. Um, and specifically, on Wednesday, you will have a chance to come back to Epic. And I don't know much, so I'm going to let Jordan just take this over for a second. Sorry, I should have told you, you're really much better at this than I am. <laughs> um, it's not on the graphic. How does this work? Oh, you're in that. Um, so we have a really, really awesome sister. I think she lives in Metairie, who's coming for Epic next week. Her name is Sister Tracy Duba, and a lot of y'all know her. Um, if you're from New Orleans or if you've done like Abbey Youth Fest or Echo, stuff like that, she's going to be speaking to us about something that we all struggle with. I know, like, how the heck do you hear God's voice when there's so many other voices that are drowning everything out, um, when everything kind of feels like static. So you won't want to miss it. It's once a month. Invite all of your friends. But seriously, not just because like we want to fill a room, because she is really, really awesome and has the joy of Christ that we want everyone to know. We want everyone to be able to encounter Christ, our Savior, right? So if you have friends in your classes that are maybe like struggling or just on the border of like, what do I, what do I believe? Maybe I want to check out Jesus. This is the perfect thing to invite them to because they'll meet people. Talk's going to be engaging and super joyful. There's going to be awesome music and obviously food and friendship at the end. So we hope to see you on Wednesday at 6.45. So because God's awesome, she's one of my best friends. So I just decided when you look at this schedule, you should all come to F. So you committed already. You can pick one more thing. Okay, and then I have my own plug. Um, this is hilarious, you just don't realize why. This is about a play that's being put on by Notre Dame Seminary. Well, really dumb ox, and the seminarians are in it, lay people are in it. Um, it's about the out of the body, so how perfectly timed. It's going to be from March uh, 16th to the 19th, and um, 
I'm actually the costume designer, and have I ever done that before in my life? No. So, you should come, um, and if the costumes are bad, then I probably didn't do it. Um, no, but really, this everything that we're doing, the last session and this session especially, if you want to see it like concretized, like in a form that you can visualize it, it's very, very well written, and I highly recommend it. So, consider that. Okay. I wanted to get all this stuff done first. Question. It's like a live play. March 16th and 19th at Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans. Funny story, I went to get coffee on the way here and there was a Hobby Lobby and I was like, perfect, because there's no time for me to get these certain costume materials before I leave the country on Sunday. Anyway, so God provided. And I'm like in line and this lady's like, what are you doing with all that fur? And I'm like, I'm making costumes for this play. I've never done that before. And I'm trying to explain. She's like, well, what is the play about? And I'm like, oh, uh, we never heard of John Paul II, but we heard this thing called Theology of the Body. It's like Genesis and Adam and Eve and all the animals. She's like, oh, I'm like, yeah, okay. You know how you like wish you'd go back and have a cooler line to offer? That was one of those moments as I walked there. I was like, I should have said like a love story or anything, but didn't come to mind. Yeah, creation of the world would have been more epic than what I said. <laughs> okay, so hello everyone. Thank you again for coming. Um, tonight we're going to talk about the vocation of the human person. So I looked around the room before I started. All of you are human beings, so this is about you. Congratulations. I'm really glad you're here. Just to recap a little bit from last week, um, man is most like God in his choice to what? Don't say the father. I think I heard it. Say it louder. No. What is God's identity? Love. God is love, okay? So, thank you. We don't have to reteach the whole thing. Look, hey, everyone refocus for a second. Refocus. We still love these things. Okay, hey, we are the creatures that we created in God's image and likeness. That means when someone looks at me or they look at you, they're supposed to be reminded. You're supposed to be like this mirror that reflects back to them who God is. Unlike the animals who do not have a rational soul, so they do not have the capacity to choose, we have the capacity to choose. And at the end of the day, love is a choice. So love is a capacity that's unique to being human, right? Because we have the power to love like God loves, okay? Um, so all of that's really wonderful, but the question is what happened? So I need a volunteer um, who wants to just do a little role play. You don't have to I don't have anything to give you, but sure. You can just stand here. You can kind of just nod yes or no based on questions I ask you. It's pretty simple. If you were in my class at some point at Chappelle, I'm sorry. You already saw this like 10 times. You can come up here. Yeah, I want everyone to see you answer these questions. This is going to be simple. Look, this is an analogy, okay? But I just went to Mass, and the Lord, in His timing, right, we're doing the creation story, the readings at Mass, right? And the question is, what happened between then and between now? God offered to man, right, the earth, to be steward over all of creation. He gave to man the gift of the garden. Man was supposed to guard the garden, right? Um, this is actually great. You just stand there. You're not going to say anything. I need a woman to volunteer. Perfect. Right. Okay. So, she's going to be Eve. He's Adam. I'm invisible. I'm just the narrator of the story. 
So this serpent comes into the garden. I want you to realize how this works, okay? First of all, the serpent, he's not this cute little garden snake. Not that I would ever call a garden snake cute, but if you wanted to, this is different. The Hebrew word, how they describe the serpent, is more akin to something like a dragon, okay? Now, if you were face-to-face with a dragon, as much as you might think that you could be cool and pull it off, don't you think you'd be a little bit intimidated? Yeah, okay, probably. So this dragon comes up, and she's looking at the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, right? The knowledge is good and evil, but the tree itself is not necessarily bad. We have to understand, like, can you imagine, think about this, if I give keys to a two-year-old, don't you think that would be a bad idea, like, put them in the driver's seat and like, here's the keys, right? Driving isn't bad, but until the child is mature enough, right, to take responsibility of what that gift means, right, that'd be wrong. So if I look at the two-year-old, I'm like, I can't give you the keys, because if I give you the keys, you could die, like, I'm being honest, right? Keep a God whose word is eternal said very clearly to them, if you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Remember that. Did he give a command? Yes. And was he clear about the consequences if he didn't obey that command? Yes. Okay, so here we go. Lovely Eve. She's just hanging out. She's like, oh, look at the pretty tree. It is beautiful. It says delightful to the eyes. It's desirable to make one wise. So there's good things about it. She sees that. In comes the dragon, okay? Um, once again, this is an analogy, so it's not going to take up the whole example. But what's your favorite dessert? Brownies. Okay. She likes brownies. I want you to imagine God puts her in this beautiful playground. He's like, you can have all the different kind of brownies that you want. All of them. All of them are for you. I made this for you because you're my daughter and I love you. Okay, but this one brownie right here with, I don't know, whipped cream and sprinkles, if you've ever done that. I haven't, but I think it tastes good. You put that in the middle and God's like, look, this is a gift, but he's saying, if you eat of this, you will die. He gives her a command and he's very clear about it. Okay, God's always with her, but she is free to choose him or deny him. Now enter serpent, a.k.a. dragon. He's like, hey, except he doesn't want to talk to the that. He's like, hey, um, you see that brownie right there? You can answer now, okay? Do you see it? Okay, do you want to eat it? Then you should. What would you say, knowing that God told you to die? She doesn't know. And what does Eve say in the story? She's like, no, 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 no. God said I can't eat it or even touch it because then I'm going to die. Now, did God say not to touch it? No. In her memory, she's already getting confused, right? And she doesn't call out to him to ask him what he said. She's just listening, right? And that's a part of woman to listen and receive the word. But the word that the source of this word is the enemy, right? The dragon, the serpent, the devil. And he tells her, and this is what you need to listen to. He says, surely you will not die. And what does she do? Then she eats it. So where was the confusion? God said what? Don't eat it. The, the serpent said what? Eat it. And what, what's going to happen if you eat it? You're not going to die. So I just want you to imagine this. She looks at this brownie, a.k.a. the tree. She's like, okay. And she reaches out, and she takes it, and she eats it. Now, I'm not trying to be ridiculous. What has Adam been doing this whole time? Did he say anything? 
No, in scripture it says, and the man who was with her took some as well and ate of it. So now he's eating the brownie. Okay? I just use people because this is about real people. And they drop money. <laughs> okay, that's it. You can go sit. Thank you. You're awesome. Okay. With eighth grade girls, it's a lot more entertaining, but y'all be great. Just because they're like, what? Okay, everyone refocus and hear this. We think that the fall happened way back when. And usually we're like, good job, Adam and Eve. Like, we're screwed up for the rest of us, right? Shake your heads. Have you ever thought that? Like, why did you guys have to do that? Okay, what if I told you that every single day we have the same kind of opportunities before us? Right? The voice of truth, our true father, he comes in and he says, hey, I want to offer you this. I put before you life and death shoes. Right? But the enemy comes in, right? This is why we have to discern and test things. The enemy comes in and he's like, hey, you see that thing? You want that? You should take it. Right? This is a temptation of sin that we all experience. Usually it's involving good things. I'm hoping all, but probably most of you, are not going to be tempted to just pick up a gun and shoot someone. Right? You're like, that is bad. Okay? But Nothing in this world, if it's truly given us as a gift, is evil. It becomes evil only if we abuse how we use that gift. Right? Driving is not evil. It becomes evil if I use it to run someone over. Okay? The internet, social media, is not evil. It becomes evil if I use it for crazy, stupid things. Right? So, but hear this, too. Usually what happens, if we call the enemy the father of lies, the accuser, right? He accuses you. And he, he's the father of lies, when he gives birth to lies. He's like, hey, God bless you. I want you to imagine something that you really want right now that might be out of reach, or you think you want, right? The enemy's usually going to say, hey, look, if God really loved you, if he really loved you, he would give you that. If, okay, I'm going to name some lies. These are lies, but you see that they're familiar. If God really loved you, then your parents would have got divorced. If God really loved you, then your friend wouldn't have done that to you. If God really loved you, then your boyfriend wouldn't have broken up with you. If God really loved you, then your girlfriend would sleep with you. Do you see what I'm saying, y'all? Does this make any sense to you? This is our lives. We hear the voice and we have to choose. Is this based on truth or is this a lie? And God has told us multiple times out of love, right? He said, like, I'm the voice of truth, and I desire freedom for you. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Sin is a bondage of slavery. Today we celebrate the feast of St. Josephine Bakita. And if I had a lot more hours, I would go into how much I love her and why. I'll leave you with this. She is a woman who was a true slave, right? Brought over from Africa. And the man who um, was in charge of her, she was abused multiple times physically. And... Because of her slavery, she actually found God, okay? Because she had to come out of herself and ask for a source higher than herself to help her. And she actually said that if she was given a choice to be a slave again, she would say yes because. She would go and kiss the hands of the man who abused her because through slavery she found Christ. And when she found Christ, she realized it doesn't matter who thinks they have ownership over me. When I belong to Christ, then I am truly free. If you are in Christ, then you are truly free. If you are in Christ, then when you're here, 
what happens is you, you throw it back at him. And you say, no, 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 no. The word of God actually said if I eat of this, I will die. So no, thank you. You just walk away, right? They had freedom, okay? So you feel that though, we're like, oh, but we messed it up. And it hurts. Yeah, it does hurt. Um, and I read this quote to you. Look, there's going to be a lot of quotes. There's a lot of slides, and they're all really awesome. I'm not going to read every single one to you because I don't want you to feel like you're just being talked at. What I want you to understand, though, is we're going to post these. You should pray with this. This is an invitation to prayer, okay? Formation is more than just knowledge. We can know everything intellectually, but if we're never formed in our hearts, then it means nothing, okay? So take it to prayer. So what was it like before the fall? What is it like now? What are we hoping for? We read this quote about childlike wonder. We said that God is a God who delights in monotony. He delights like a child who never gets tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? And that last quote, when I read it, it says, It may be that our Father has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown very old, and our Father is younger than we. Right? Our Father is younger than we. So I've given you this sort of visual and the reality of the fall. You feel that. Where did we come from and where are we going? How can I cultivate, how can you cultivate within our heart of hearts? A heart that is truly free, meaning a heart that resides in the Lord, meaning a heart that is childlike, right? How do you do that? That's what we're gonna talk about today. Um, so first, you're gonna get this in a document you can pray with later. I brought this up with the question and answer last time and I just want you to see what we just talked about. I want you to imagine that there are gates on your heart. I want you to walk away from this talk and I want you to pray with and consider. What am I? Take ownership of this reality. We are responsible to choose. What am I letting in? The gospel today, Jesus planned this. I did it, right? What's the gospel today? He says anything you take in eating food, it goes through the stomach, right? That can't defile you. It's what comes out of your heart. What comes out of your heart? You know what should be in your heart? God. If God is in our heart, if God is where, if our heart is where the kingdom of God resides, then we are free, right? So pray with these quotes. But I want you to see in the catechism, it says the spiritual tradition of the church also emphasizes the heart in the biblical sense of the depths of one's being, where the person decides for or against God. So this is about the moral life, guys. This is about choosing. Right? Within the depths of the human person, this unique yet profound union of a material body, animated by a spiritual soul, that is where each person decides for himself whether he will live for or against God, his creator. Hey y'all, you have a body and a soul, that's you. In your heart of hearts, every single one of you, and this is a daily conversion, right? This is a daily decision. You get to choose for or against God. You know what, if you mess up today, guess what, that's God's mercy. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you can choose anew. But when the church talks about the heart, they're talking about that inner place, your conscience, right? Where you have your deepest of thoughts, your deepest of desires, your deepest of dreams. Is this making sense? Okay. So, this is huge. This is the key point for you tonight. When we're talking about the vocation of the human person. To be truly human, we have the capacity to choose to love. We have the capacity to allow God himself to reside within us. How does that work? It works because of this. The human body is given life by the human soul. 
The body and soul are so intimately united that the body shares in the dignity of being made in the image and likeness of God. The whole human person, so body and soul, is to become a temple of the Holy Spirit. A temple. Do you understand that in the Old Testament, whenever they talked about the temple, they were talking about the place where God would dwell. This is where they would, they would build a place, and God's presence would choose to dwell there. Everyone look at me. Like, think about this. God desires to dwell within you. Exactly. God desires to dwell within you. Well, you want to be superheroes when you're little kids, right? You know what that really means? A human being who's like animated by the presence of God from within him or her. You want superpowers? You want to help work miracles? That's why the saints could levitate and stuff, right? Or they could buy locate, right? How the heck, no offense, can a man, this is Father Andrew, how the heck can his hands make bread into the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? A, the presence of God dwells in him. B, Christ has so animated him through the sacrament of holy orders that he becomes an altar priestess, another Christ. Right? And we're going to talk about why we might not be called all to the sacrament of priesthood, but we are all called to be priests in a certain way. Okay? So, I was praying about how to talk about eschatological man. We don't have a lot of time, so there's a lot of slides, and I'm going to kind of fly through them and allow you to go pray with them. Because what this is, I'm about to open up this box, and this box is wonderful, and it's so fun, and I love it. Hopefully you'll love at least a piece of it. But you're going to have a lot of questions. And I can answer some of them, but most of them I'm going to be like, hey, haven't been to heaven yet, haven't experienced this yet. When I do, you will at the same time. So I'll just look at you and say, that's the answer. Okay? For now, I can only offer you the little bit that I know. Okay, so I'll offer you at least some seeds to give you hope. Remember we talked about original man, right? John Paul II, he wrote about where we came from, this purity of our origins where I could see, not that we're staying as children, but that my, my gaze was so pure that when I saw another, I saw God, because I could see them as they are. They aren't an object to be used, they're a gift for me to love, right? Now we're in historical man. Man is the existing history, post-fall, after the fall, before eschatological man, right? The eschaton, the time to come. One guy who used to teach this that I, I learned it from, he would do this like superhero stance every time he'd say eschatological man, because he's like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to be superheroes, but like the coolest ever. Because why? Eschatological man is after the end of time, and newsflash, in case you didn't know, but you profess this if you're Catholic, we believe in the resurrection of the body. You will get your body back. Not someone else's body, your own body. Because guess what? And ladies, especially for you, but men, this applies to you too. Because your body is very good. And just a moment, a little aside, I'm going to say this out loud. God speaks words over us, right? The enemy wants to speak words over us. God speaks words of truth and freedom. The enemy speaks words of condemnation and death. Every time, especially ladies, that you look at your body and you out loud speak a word of hatred over yourself, who are you imitating? You're not imitating God. And I'm not saying I don't understand, like, no, I'm still human, save struggles. But what I'm trying to tell you is we have to take ownership over that. Imagine, and this was recommended on a retreat when I was a teenager in high school, and I remember it every now and then. Instead of you looking at your body and condemning it, men and women, how about when you're tempted to condemn, choose words that are of God. Pray a glory be. And then keep moving. 
But when you're praying the glory of faith, you know what you're saying? You're saying, God, I glorify you from the gift of this body. Because I might not be able to see it in its fullness, but this body is a gift. And through this gift is how I image you to the world. And I might not understand that. But Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right? Don't get so caught up. The enemy wants to nitpick you apart. If that's your weak point, that's where it's going to come. It's going to come hard. Right? You reject that. And you speak words of truth and love over yourself, not words of condemnation. Okay? Because one day, you're going to get your body back. And you're going to see that what I'm saying is true. And I'm going to be just as excited because I'm in the same boat with you, right? Y'all, we get our bodies back because they're so good. Because if you did not get your body back, you would not be you. You would not be human. Who is the one? Okay, there's two people that have their bodies in heaven. Who are the two people that have their bodies in heaven? Jesus and Mary. Oh my gosh, it's like we call them something. It's like we call them the new Adam and the new Eve. Oh wait, we do. They're our parents, right? New Adam and Eve, they call forth to us this hope of what we long for and what we're meant for. Okay, this is why I made slides. This is from a past presentation. I don't have time to play this song for you. It's awesome! By Josh Garrels, called Beyond the Blue. Just listen to it later on YouTube. Okay, these are the words in case you want to follow along. In Theology of the Body, John Paul II remarks about the fact that Christ says, God is a God not of the dead, but of the living, right? Of the living. He says to them, the Pharisees, the ones that claim to know everything, he says, you were wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Stop denying God's power, y'all. He wants to work miracles. It's not that he can't or won't. It's that we don't have enough faith to believe that he will. And included in that, is the resurrection of the body, right? So our life doesn't end with death. What is God's final word on the subject? He says God's final word is Christ. If you want to see what God says about death, look at Christ. What happened to him? He defeated death itself. He defeated death itself. I have to go fast for these. I'm sorry, because I think the second half is the most important. What we are going to experience in the new heaven and the new earth is a perfect, look at the italicized and print. It's going to be the definitively and perfectly integrated state of man, where our body and soul is so unified, right, that there's not this war between us. You remember when I had you hold your hands together last week, and you hold them like this, and you're like, move them. Okay, some of you were like, what did you do? Last week I just had people hold their hands, and I said, go to the left, they go to the left, they go to the right. The point is your hands are together. This is integration. Disintegration is where I tear something apart, okay? God desires us to be integrated. In heaven, there's not going to be this battle. In heaven, it's not going to be like, oh, I mean, the brown looks really good. What do you got set? No, we're like, bad. God told me I'm going to die if I eat it. This is a gift, but God's the gift. The greatest gift is God, and you choose him, you're with God in heaven, right? Um, so look. Bold, italicized, most important. Resurrection means restoration to the true life of human bodiliness, a.k.a. it's the final victory over death. If you see this top sentence, it says, in his resurrected bodiliness, man experiences the perfect sensitivity of the senses, their perfect harmonization with the activity of the human spirit in truth and in freedom. Right? Y'all, it's perfect. We're moving about and we are one. We are so integrated that when we see the good, we choose the good. Because we've been purified to do so. This life is a part of that preparation. So, I kind of 
trying to skip through these. Um, one thing I talked about last time, so for those that weren't here, I just want to remind you. With the gift of marriage, if someone is called to marriage, the point is that your spouse is supposed to get you to heaven, right? So when I look at my spouse, it's just like when God created Adam and Eve. When God created Eve, Adam wakes up from sleep, we're talking to Eve for a second, and he's seeing Eve, but God's right behind me, he just made me, he's offering me as a gift. So he sees me, but he sees God at the same time. He doesn't look, oh, God's over here, Eve's over here. It's like, God is reflected to me in Eve, and vice versa. Right? So marriage is that gift where we get to walk with another person, they get to look at this person, and I get to realize, like, I'm called to God because your love and the love you call forth for me reminds me of that reality. It's not that marriage is bad, but marriage is not, it, it's not something that we, like, worship. It's not an idol. It's an icon, meaning it has a greater purpose. It points forward. It points up to the reality of who is God. Right? So remember, just to review, and those that weren't here, when I get married, when I'm standing at the altar, I'm looking at a person, and I'm choosing this person, and we're choosing God for our love, because God is love. When I walk down the aisle, right, and walking towards a man behind him, if I'm getting married in a church, who's there? Jesus, right? If our goal is to get each other to heaven, then when we're at heaven, instead of facing each other, we're holding hands and facing forward. It's not like he's abolishing marriage because it's bad. He's like, no, 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 you just ran the race, now you get the prize. Does that make sense? You were working and loving each other so that when you got to heaven, you could receive the gift of God himself. You aren't like away from the gift of your spouse. You're closer than you've ever been in your entire life. Imagine that, because you're in God, who is the creator of all. And so together, you look forward and you see the face of God. So, that's basically what that said in Sarah Denny's words. Okay. Um, the word fullness, I'm going through this fast because I want to get you to the other part of this. What is it going to be like? I can only offer you this because once again, I haven't been there yet, right? So there's distinctions, but they're not disconnected. We started with the original man, and we looked to the future eschatological man, but we're living in history. What does that mean? How does that work? Truly what Old Testament and New Testament mean is Old Covenant and New Covenant. The old covenant is don't do these exterior things and you're going to make God mad. No, no, no. Christ comes, the new covenant is, I want you to look into your own heart. I want you to choose for me. When you choose for God, you choose life. Right? Choose life so that you and your children may live. That's what he says. He's calling man and woman to choose for him, for God, within his heart. And remember, we talked about Watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Your destiny. Where does it start? Your thoughts. Guys, ladies, all of you, what the heck are we spending our time dwelling on, chewing? We're going to ponder something. If we ponder a seed of death planted by the enemy, it breeds death, right? If we ponder a life, it breeds life. If Christ is the Word incarnate, our lady pondered the Word, and then he took flesh within her, right? And brought life into the world. So become aware. That's the greatest gift you can give yourself at this age, is to be self-aware. Pray for the grace to grow in self-awareness, to know yourself. One of the church fathers said, Christian, know thyself. That is our call. 
Um, okay, two things. Spiritualization, it means, like we talked about, integration. Your body's going to be one with your soul. And I'm sorry to go through these fast, but the second half is really important. And divinization, y'all, we're going to be so fully with God in heaven that we experience divinization. It does not mean that we become God, but it becomes we are perfectly, it means that we're perfectly within him, part of him. In the beginning, remember it says in scripture, it says what? It says that Adam and Eve, they walked with him in the garden. They walked with him. That shows you that there's this communion there's this deep union. It was a state of perfect grace. We fell, we call it the fall, because we fell from the state of grace. In heaven, we will again be in a perfect state of grace. The good news that I hope you can see, though, is it's an echo of what happened in the beginning, but because God is mercy itself, it's actually even better. What this was with the tree, he wanted to offer you right a deeper union with him, but he was waiting for the fruit to be ripe. It wasn't ripe yet. It's going to be ripe then. Right? So your, your life, this journey you're living right now, is an invitation to choose for heaven. Right? It's an invitation to choose for him. Okay. I love all this stuff, but... Dun, dun, dun. Okay. We're going to talk about learning for like a minute. This gives you something to imagine. The power of literature. If any of you want to be writers, do it. And write good stuff, please, because we need it. Right? God uses everything. Everything can be a window to point forward to him. And this is what he says. So this is like in the end of the Chronicles. Aslan's a lion. He's like the figure of God. Okay? It says, it's hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia, as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you will get some idea of it if you think like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among mountains. And in the wall of that room, opposite to the window, there may have been a looking glass. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass. And the sea in the mirror or the valley in the mirror were in one sense just the same as the real ones. Yet at the same time, they were somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story. And a story you have never heard, but very much want to know. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. Do you see the analogy, y'all? Like we see we have an idea of it, but having not experienced it. It's more, it's deeper. At times he called it the really real. At the end of the books, one of the characters, when he gets to this promised land, aka heaven, he says, I've come at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. Y'all, this is your challenge, right? If you were not made for comfort, you were made for greatness, this is your invitation. Come further up. Come further in. Right? Pierre Giorgio, you've ever seen this full picture? It's like Plano Mountain, like Verso Alto, like to the heights. To the, what heights, y'all? The heights of heaven. We are called to the heights of heaven. That is your invitation. Okay, what the heck does any of this mean for you today? That's really what we're getting to. So now you see your hope. How the heck do I get there? 
What is this point of being human, right? Well, the Catechism actually tells us in paragraph number one, right? And this is what it says. It does. I'm like, it might drop after this, but I have some more slides because it's me. So, here. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share his own blessed life. For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. He calls together all men, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son as Redeemer and Savior. In his Son and through him, he invites men to become, in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children, and thus heirs of his blessed life. He calls us to receive the inheritance that his son won for us, which is heaven, life with God for eternity, for forever. If you decide what you want to do with your life based on just this earth, you're going to be disappointed because there's something beyond it. This is our preparation for home. Y'all, we're homesick. That's why it hurts sometimes. We're homesick. We want to go home. Sometimes all of us, I don't care how happy you are and what a great life you have, which we're called to have it, right? But we still feel it. Sometimes when you're alone, before you pick up your phone and numb it, you realize, like, something's still missing, right? Because we're meant to go home, and we're being prepared to go home. And what we want to do is not go home right now, even though that's tempting. What we want to do is we want to tell all of our friends, hey, you know what, this isn't the end. Like, let's go home together. Let me show you what home actually looks like. I want you to be there with me for forever. God wants, he's proposing to you, not for 50 years. He's proposing to you for forever. No man or woman on this planet can offer you that. In reality, only God can. So, redemption is when we receive this gift of grace. And remember, I want you to imagine you're swimming in an ocean of grace before the fall. And then you're like, grace is stupid. I'm going to jump out of the pool. And then you're like, oh, wait, I want to swim. Wait, I can't swim. This is hard. And then heaven's like an ocean. Okay? And you're going to swim all in. In grace. Grace is the spiritual strength to love like God loves. Grace is the gift of God himself. It is God, right? God giving us himself through the Spirit. So there's this document that I want to highlight until the end of my talk because it's that important. Um, it's called Christopher Daly's Leiching, and it was written on December 30th, 1988, which happened to be the feast of the Holy Family. And it was written by John Paul II, big surprise, and it was on the vocation and mission of the lay faithful in the church and in the world. Okay, so I'm going to play teacher mode for a second. Just amuse me. And all of you to stand up. Hey. Stretch. Look at your neighbor, be like, don't leave in the next 15 minutes. You have to stay and listen to this. Awesome. Now sit. Look, you're human beings. God fed them before you were miracles. Like, I can't feed you, so I'm going to feed you this stuff, which is good, but I need you to refocus. Everyone refocus. These 15 minutes are worth it, so just listen. Okay? Cool. This document is like earth-shattering, and I'm blessed to have heard of it, but probably most of you haven't, and that's okay. 
and I want to invite you to read it, but I knew if I told you to go read it, you'd really want to, and you probably wouldn't, because you don't have time. So, what I did was, I took the most important quotes from certain sections that I'm going to highlight now, and I'm going to start talking about them, but I want you to go read the quotes, okay? Baby steps, right? So, just think about that after the talk. It starts, though, this section about baptism, and this is what I want to connect for you. If we are called to be temples of God, right, this happens in and through his spirit, his life breath. We read about this today, surprise, like, God breathes life into man, right? The breath of God breathes into him, right? In Pentecost, right, like, what happens? The Holy Spirit, when God shows up, he breathes over them. It's his spirit, it's his presence, so the Holy Spirit anoints the baptized, sealing each with an indelible character, and constituting each as a spiritual temple. That is, he fills the temple with the holy presence of God as a result of each person's being united and likened to Jesus Christ. So if Christ means anointed one, and our head is Christ, who's been anointed, so too we are also anointed. We, so Christ is the head, we are the body, we're all anointed, and in him we're little Christs, right? We're anointed ones. Listen to this. This is ridiculous, and people should talk about this more. This was all really started and stirred up in the Second Vatican Council because they were like, stop clericalism. What the heck is clericalism? Clericalism is, okay, this is not all it is, but in short. Hey, all of you who want to be holy, become priests and nuns. That's the way you can become holy. Bam. Okay, not true. The church is trying to show we need both. Right? We need priests and religious, we need holy men and women who get married, who feel called to the single life, right? Whatever. But we are called ultimately to be a priest, a prophet, and a king. I'm talking about men and women right now. The reality of us, okay, this is a bomb I'm gonna drop, and this will be a whole other talk, I can't focus on it. But women want to be priests because we don't understand that we're already priests. We're usurping and pushing aside the true calling to the priesthood that God entrusted us with at baptism because we're looking at this as if it's a business and it's a power struggle and my father's a CEO and I want to be a CEO because I'm a good leader. No, I'm a great leader. doesn't mean I'm supposed to be a priest, right? But how do I live out a priesthood? How can I live that out? Well, then we need to talk about what is a priest actually, okay? So this is talking about priest, prophet, king. How do we live that out? Bam. Speaking of the lay faithful, the council says, for their work, prayers, and apostolic endeavors, their ordinary married and family life, their daily labor, their mental and physical relaxation, if carried out in the spirit, and even the hardships of life, if patiently born, all of these become spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So listen. A priest is not just someone who does cool things. No, a priest is someone who offers sacrifice. Do you understand what it means to offer sacrifice? It means blood, sweat, and tears. It means my toil. It means hard work, right? I offer this sacrifice. It's not always material, it's sometimes spiritual, right? It's talking about, it's even saying relaxation. Everyone in this room, baptism calls us to be little priests. I'm called to offer the sacrifice of my time, right? My talents, my treasure. All of it. Because a priest, what he does on the altar is he offers a sacrifice. The Old Testament priest would offer with incense, right? Sacrificing animals. Christ, the true priest, he comes, unites all that to himself, which is why it says in the Mass, during the celebration of the Eucharist, 
These sacrifices are most lovingly offered to the Father along with the Lord's body. Thus, as worshipers whose every deed is holy, the lay faithful consecrate the world itself to God. No big deal? Phil, it's a really big deal, right? Your call right now, unless you've taken vows, which most of you haven't yet, your call is to consecrate the world itself to God. The world itself, y'all, wherever you are, whatever your world is, every single man and woman, a world exists around you, right? Whether you're the CEO of a business or a mom who just had a baby and you're a stay-at-home mom, the world exists around you. What is your world? It's like Mother Teresa. She didn't say, everyone come to Calcutta. She's like, no, 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 where is your Calcutta? Go home and love your families. We are called to offer sacrifice. We are called to be priests. I, as a woman, right? Okay, I'm going to get on the soapbox, but I can't. So 30 seconds or less. As a woman, how dare anyone say that I have nothing to sacrifice? Right? I'm real. I have emotions. I have experiences. I have people that I've lost or things that I desire. Right? How dare anyone say that I don't have anything to sacrifice or that any of these women don't have something to sacrifice? We have to learn to offer sacrifices of love to our Father because He can transform everything into Himself. Right? So when you go to Mass and you're like, oh, Father's homily, kind of dry today, stop going off on the trains of distraction, which we all jump on. Come back and say, Lord, I want to offer you the sacrifice of my time right now. I want to be present to the Mass. Even though I'm not really being entertained, it's not about entertainment, I'm offering the sacrifice of my time. I'm offering the sacrifice of this person I've lost, for this thing that I desire. I'm offering you that sacrifice in this moment and being present to you. Amen. You are all called to be priests. Right now, you participate in that. What are you called to sacrifice? Right? You are called to be great men. Men of courage, men of integrity, men of virtue. And I don't have to give you a talk on being a man because I'm not one. But trust me, I get it as much as I can from a distance. You are being bombarded and attacked in your own way, right? You offer the sacrifice of those passing and fleeting pleasures and desires to God himself. On the altar, which is painful, it's called a cross. Where is your cross? Where is your altar? Sometimes, though, my altar is that I have to sit at a desk for multiple hours and read a document that maybe I don't want to read and write a paper on it. Hmm, sound familiar? Students, wherever you are, that is your altar. Sacrifice unto him. Okay, I all fired up. Let's go back to the next thing. Prophet, and we're running out of time, but we're going to be good. They are also, meaning you, called to allow the newness and the power of the gospel to shine out every day in their family and social life. Hmm, social life, interesting. As well as to express patiently and courageously in the contradictions of the present age their hope, hope, hope of future glory, even through the framework of their secular life. Hey, when I say you should all work for the church one day, I don't mean be youth ministers. Good, I love youth ministers. What are we doing here, y'all? Right? But... When I say work for the church, I mean the church is the body of Christ. She is not limited to these walls right here. He has put us in the world for a purpose, and a great one. If I don't show the face of Christ, this random person will be sitting next to you on the plane on Sunday. Who's going to do it? Right? That's my example. What's your example? Who are you called to show Christ to? Sometimes it doesn't mean I take a Bible and I'm like, listen to this. Right? Don't do that. It means you reflect God himself. 
you cultivate holiness and choose him in your heart so much so that without even realizing it, you reflect him to those around you. Right? Your life and your words speak truth, a prophet heralds truth. The king, okay, what the heck, y'all? You want to be royalty? Guess what? We're called to be royalty. King, queen, whatever you want to say, how do you authentically lead? By serving. By taking up arms and protecting. Right? This line, they exercise kingship as Christians. Guys, if you want to be like a man, let me just tell you, this, this is it. Like, this is strength. This is your foundation to stand on. Above all, in the spiritual combat in which they seek to overcome in themselves the kingdom of sin. Your battlefield, you don't have to go out and find it. It's with you all the time. It's called your heart. What are you letting in? What are you letting out? Choose life so that you may live. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Our battles are with flesh and blood, with powers and principalities. Wield the sword of the spirit, a.k.a. the word. All of scripture. Do you realize how connected this is? This is his call for you. To be a priest who offers sacrifice, a prophet who speaks truth to the nations, and a king, meaning you are royalty and you are called to serve and to lead. First and foremost, by taking up arms in the spiritual battle, in your own heart of hearts. Right? Nothing defiled comes through the stomach, it's not food. What's in my heart of hearts? Okay, just give me like eight more minutes, y'all. It's like five minutes past your time. The lay faithful are called to this. Everything we talked about, the wonder of the original man, right? We are called to restore to creation all its original value. I'm called to reflect to people that we came from something amazing and I desire something amazing. And look, it says, in ordering creation to the authentic well-being of humanity in an activity governed by the life of grace, which means a life with God. We share in the exercise of the power with which the risen Christ draws all things to himself. Yo, we get to share in the power of God, the power of Christ. What did he do? He defeated death itself. He even says that to the apostles, that like we will perform greater works and greater miracles. Do you believe that? I don't think we believe that. If we did, we'd be working miracles. Not because I'm so cool and I'm working miracles. No, the saints, there's like miracles of healing and prophecy and all these things because the saints are so overcome, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, just like our lady, that they give life. That the power of God is so alive and healing that they can work miracles because it's his power in the miracles. So the participation of the lay faithful in the threefold mission of Christ as priest, prophet, and king finds its source in the anointing of baptism, its further development in confirmation, and its realization and dynamic sustenance. That's how you're sustained. In the Holy Eucharist. No wonder why these are the sacraments of initiation. Because he doesn't want to give you just a piece of the prize. He wants to give you the whole thing. You were called to life with God himself. This is the invitation. This is the journey. And look, I know that these are a lot of ideas, and I'm about to throw some more at you as this train pulled into the station, but here, you got to pray with this, y'all. Allow your minds to be formed, but don't stay there. Allow it to penetrate your hearts, which is like the longest journey, right? I get it, I get it, I get it. Do you really get it? That's your question. So, I gave you all of these cool things to read that I can't read to you right now, but God has given to us still the gift of creation. He has given to you still wherever you are called in a professional life, right? And he desires to bring life there, but he's not going to force himself on us, right? 
The invitation is for you to be the one to bring life. I have a story for you. I lived in Medjugorje for two summers. It was really cool. Anyway, we can talk about that later. The point is, one of those summers, some of my friends were there, and this really cute German priest who spoke very little English, right? He's sitting across from one of my friends, and he's like, what is the call of God for you? And I'm like, ooh, this will be interesting. I wonder what he's going to say. <laughs> and my friend, who was awesome and holy, he's like, he takes this, like, if I ask all of you this question, you do the same thing, you're like, um, you know, like you're trying to figure it out, right? You're like, don't ask me that question. I don't know. And the priest, within five seconds, he's like, no, 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 no. Like, as if he didn't understand, he's like, what is the will of God for you? And my friend's like, Father, like, I, I, he's like, no. You know the will of God for you. The will of God for you is your holiness. Hello, everyone in this room. The will of God for you, the will of God for us is holiness. Holiness is wholeness. Holiness is the life of God dwelling within me. Holiness is where God dwells so fully within my own heart and mind that even all the broken places are brought back together and made whole. Holiness is not just for others, it's for my own heart. It transforms me from within. Holiness is the presence of God, His Spirit within me, within you. We are called to holiness. It is a gift. So, all these things you should read, um, in the last four minutes, and so I don't want to leave you with. I grew up in the charismatic movement. This is not a talk on that. But I sort of denied those roots for a time. It's like, these people are crazy. Like, they're praying in tongues. They're like, resting in the spirit. I'm like, is it, do I really believe this? Do I not? Like, just doing a lot of interesting things. In the last few years, the Lord has totally drawn me back to that because I've realized one thing. To be charismatic, you don't even have to put it in a box that we're all going to have the same gifts. But to be charismatic is to be what? like our lady. To be charismatic is to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. It's to receive the Spirit so much within my own heart and mind that I am transformed. And so my life is transformed. And so as I share the gifts that he's offered me, whether that be prophecy or discernment or even speaking in tongues or just the spirit of wisdom, I give life to God in the world. I bear him like a woman bears a child into the world. Because like Our Lady, we have been so overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, His Spirit, is what must animate our lives. We give our spirits, our souls to Him so that He can breathe life back into us. Right? Life according to the Spirit, whose fruit is holiness, stirs up every baptized person and requires each to follow and imitate Jesus Christ in embracing the Beatitudes and listening and meditating on the Word of God in conscious and active participation in the liturgical and sacramental life of the church, in personal prayer, in family or community, in the hunger and thirst for justice, in the practice of the commandment of love, in all circumstances of life, in service to the brethren, especially the least, the poor and the suffering. If you want to be a saint, go to your dorm room or wherever you live before you go to sleep tonight. Sit up for just three minutes. Don't look at your phone. Don't look at your computer. And just say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And he will. And he will transform your life. And he will work miracles in you, through you, and for you. And you will go into the world and transform the world because of that. So to close, I want to show you scripture about Jesus and why the Holy Spirit is important. I was preparing this, and I was like freaking out, because I'm like, what? Tom Paul II, you're so good. He actually has multiple audiences about life according to the Spirit. 
What does it mean that I let the Holy Spirit transform me from within? Right? And why he does that is because the Holy Spirit is the game changer, right? God still chooses, though we have denied him, to enter and reside within us, to enter the temple of our hearts and our souls. And he wants to, but I have to say, come Holy Spirit. And I have to say, in moments of temptation, I choose the Holy Spirit, not the Spirit and the Father of lies, right? So Jesus, even Jesus, right, fully God but fully man, says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. It's because of the Holy Spirit, you know, even Christ in this moment, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. We too are called to baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon us, and we participate in Christ, priest, prophet, king. We're called to be priests, we're called to be prophet, we're called to be king. And then it says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit. This is a time in your life when God's inviting you to be led by the Spirit. And then it says, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit, this is from Acts of the Apostles, to the apostles whom he had chosen, to them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. Oh, that's familiar. He went to the desert for 40 days and he came back to us for 40 days. That means something. And speaking of the kingdom of God, and while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Everyone, listen to me right now. If this is the one thing you walk away with, your vocation is to holiness. Praise God for whatever vows you're going to take one day. And I'm so excited for you. But what you're doing is not just nothing, and it's not wasted time. You're waiting for the promise of the Father. Right? But it's not only then that you're going to receive him in a sacramental experience. The promise of the Father wants to live in you right now. It's called the Holy Spirit. And Christ told them, John baptized you with water. I want to baptize you with the Spirit. And the last thing, on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost, y'all, we're called to a new Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Today's whole talk has been looking back and seeing, okay, last week we talked about in the beginning. We were with Him. We were with God. We walked with Him in the garden. He was so present to us. We took that gift. We denied it. Now we're a historical man. We're experiencing the pain, the longing, being homesick. I look back and I long for that, but I can't go back. He's like, that's okay. I want you to go forward. He shows them through baptism and then through Pentecost. Pentecost, when he breathes his very spirit over them. Do you understand that today at Mass, we talked about God breathing his spirit over man. And when did that happen? In the beginning. It's a new creation. We participate in that starting today. You are called to be holy. You are called to be saints. How do you do that? By inviting the Holy Spirit to live within you. I promise you, if you pray that prayer, 
three minutes a day. Just sit by yourself, no other things around you. Come Holy Spirit. Just keep saying it over and over again. Even if you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this, it doesn't make any sense. Pray it. If you do that for a month, I bet my life on it, everything, okay? Then a month you're gonna turn around and you're gonna be like, whoa, God's working miracles. Because he doesn't need to change the exterior. What he's doing is he's changing you from within. So, if you don't mind, I want to close with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Father, we praise and thank you for the gifts of this evening. Lord, we thank you for showing us our story, which is truly your story for us of where we've come. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to experience the, the difficulty of knowing where we've come from and realizing how we've fallen, and yet in your mercy giving us the hope of what is still to come. Lord, I ask that you would just pour your Holy Spirit on a new way on each person present here, Lord, in abundance. I ask you to pour your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And Mother Mary, the spouse of the Spirit, I ask that you would pray for all of those present and all those who listen to this talk or wish they could be here. You who gave life to the Word of God by pondering that Word and receiving the Spirit, teach us how to pray that we too might call upon the name of the Lord and receive His Spirit within our hearts and minds, within our very bodies, that all of us, body and soul, our unique selves may become the saints of the 21st century. As we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And St. John Paul is like, pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Check out the quotes and pray for me. So if folks need to go, you can go if you want to stick around for questions and diving deeper, we will be here. That was uh, beautiful. So next week is epic, and then is it the week after that on the 22nd, Cox Day kicks up again. So make sure you're here the next Wednesday. And be a saint, for real. But do backflips and talk about Okay, so there's a whole carafe of coffee that needs to be consumed immediately. If you want some, go get some right now.